everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 128th episode of Make Ours Marvel. We have doubled our output once again. Because, you know, it's, ha- it's a power of two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we, Excellent. We doubled since 64, which was a double since 32, which was a double since 16, and so on and so forth. So we've doubled three times? Uh, seven times. Seven times. All right. Doubled seven times. Excellent. Um, so yeah, this is the podcast that besides being pedantic about numerology is also a journey through the um, long underwear characters of the Marvel Universe from the beginning. Uh, yep. Starting with the Fantastic Four number one and going all the way up through June and July of 1966. Yes. Is that where we are? July 1966? We're going to finish off June with our first two comics and then dig into July. So we've got um, on the docket for tonight, if you have not read up yet and would like to go read along with us, we are reading The Fantastic Four 54, Amazing Spider-Man 40, Thor King Size 2, Tales to Astonish 84, and The X-Men 24. Why does Thor number 131, as I'm looking at this month, just seem completely unfamiliar to me? But we did read it, right? Yeah, we did. We did read Thor 131, yes. That was the one with the lady, the space lady. That's right. Okay. Right. I panicked there for five seconds, people. Sometimes, as we're reading stuff, I accidentally skip or something. Not very often, but sometimes. Okay. And you know what's weird? It's been a long time, but I get to kick off the episode today because we did five last week and i get spider-man today and you get spider-man so all cool so we're gonna kick off tonight with fantastic four number 54 it's called whosoever finds the evil eye uh, by their luster shall ye know them script smiling stan lee art jolly jack kirby inking jovial joe senate and lettering snarling sam rosen the fantastic four And Wyatt Wingfoot and the Black Panther and various Wakandans are playing baseball. Dun-dun-dun. So, yeah, that happens with lots of cool superhero baseball shenanigans. Then later, they're, like, uh, hanging out at the palace because there's a big giant Black Panther. So it must be the palace. Um, And everybody's having a good time except Johnny, who's lamenting that he still can't get to Crystal because she's stuck behind that negative zone metal bubble that's not really the negative zone. We cut to that since he's thinking about her. And Black Panther apparently... Black Panther? Black Bolt? A lot of black, black people in here. Black Bolt apparently every day flies around looking for holes or some sort of weakness on this negative zone bubble. But once again, there are not any. And his brother, who created that bubble has apparently gone completely mad and he's like childlike now and he just gets held up in like this prison they put him in and he makes like inventions and stuff and they're trying to like convince him to tell them how to turn the bubble off because only he knows how. Uh, We cut back to Wakanda though. Um, Kind of the Galadriel gives all the hobbits a, a present scene except it's Black Panther and Fantastic Four aren't hobbits. And Reed Richards and Sue get cool clothes, and and the thing gets like a neat exercise machine that would work for him because it exerts tons of tons of pressure. And I don't know, I can't remember what he's going to give 
uh, 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 Johnny, but Johnny's just all morose. He's like, what's the matter? And he's like, well, you know, I really just want to, I need to take some time off from the FF and go figure out this galactic barrier thing that we can't seem to pass through. And the FF are more than happy to let him go off on his own Strange Tales style. But Wyatt Winfrit also is like, well, you should let me come too because, uh, you know, why not? I'm cool. I'm cool, yeah. It's either I have to go with you or I have to go with the FF because now apparently I'm the fifth member. Um, and then the Black Panther hears all that, or T'Challa, and he's like, hey, well, you know what? I'll give you, as my gift to you, a gyro cruiser. And everybody's like, ooh, that's really neat. So he, so Johnny and Wyatt get the gyro cruiser, which is like a big glass ball. Think of that latest or that, you know, the Jurassic Park thing where they're all going around on that ball or whatever, Jurassic World. Um, and they start heading towards wherever it is that uh, the Inhumans are bubbled. And on the way, they get into bad weather, and at some point they sink, and they find a lost civilization. And they find a crypt, and they open it up, and there's a dude there who looks kind of like a knight, but like a sci-fi Kirby knight, and he's asleep. And suddenly he wakes up, and he shoots them with this beam, and it kind of knocks them over. And then he tells his origin that he is Prester John, and he spent like his immortal life or something going around to various places. And one of those places was, uh, 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 what's it called? Like, uh, you know, King Arthur and all that stuff. And anyway, Avalon. somewhere along, Avalon, yeah. And then somewhere along the way, he got this cool weapon called the Evil Eye. It looks like, I don't know, a, I don't know what it looks like. It looks like a flashlight, kind of, um, from War of the Worlds. And anyway, he demonstrates it that it can like, you know, disintegrate anything and he shows by disintegrating the floor. Then he disintegrates the ceiling and then he creates like this magic bubble around Wyatt and the human torch. And the human torch is like, hey, this bubble seems a lot like that bubble that's around Crystal and her people. Um, and there's more shenanigans with the Inhumans, but basically they just can't get out. That's the whole point. And they can't convince their, their, uh, their you know, the king's brother to like help them get out and he's just getting more and more insane. So anyway... At some point, Human Torch like convinces this Prester John to let them out of the bubble, and he does. And then Johnny's like, hey, can I use that weapon to also undo a similar bubble that I'm trying to undo? And before the guy can even say yes or no, really, Johnny's just like, no, I need this weapon. And he grabs it, and he takes it, and he flies off. And Prester John's like, uh, dude, God, he didn't even let me answer. And by the way... It's set in pure evil mode right now, and it's just going to build up and build up and build up until it explodes, and he didn't stick around long enough for uh, me to explain that to him, so he's probably going to die. So Wyatt and Prester John uh, get into the uh, the gyro thing um, and go after him. I guess it can fly? Anyway, and then Wyatt has this like polarizer gun that's in there, and because he's Native American, he's a dead shot, he says, or something. And he shoots the, the evil eye out of Johnny's hand just as he's approaching where the Inhumans are. And the evil eye falls to the ground and explodes. And Johnny's like, and it explodes so hard that, like, it deflames him. But he's still mad. He's like, why'd you guys do that? I was so close. I was going to use it. And Wyatt's like, dude, you would have died if I didn't do that. And Johnny like crumbles to the ground. He's like, no, I'll never see my love again. And meanwhile, there was a subplot of like uh, Black Bolt. I don't even know what he's doing. He's getting into some big giant machine that may or may not turn the bubble off or it might just disintegrate and kill him. So we'll find out next issue whether that's true. It's like when Cyclops in Dark Phoenix puts his visor up to the thingy to shoot his laser through the ship. 
Uh-huh. Black Bolt is sending his electron energy or something through this thing, but it's not as safe. It's it not safe. Him. He could die, and he starts screaming, and then it cuts off, and we don't see what happens to him. So, well, it's, a good, they, it's yeah. a good thing they cut out of there right then, because if we heard him scream, we would have died. Yeah, I'm surprised the rest of them didn't die, because they're all saying, listen, we hear him screaming. Mm. But anyway, maybe because he's inside the box, in the Kirby box. I don't know. Maybe. So uh, there's a you, lot here. You know what I think? I'm starting to think inhumans just suck. <laughs> Like, I never knew that before. I knew who the Inhumans were, and I always thought, okay, Inhumans. But, like, 100% so far, they suck on this show, I think. Because okay. this comic was not great, right? I, I mean, don't know. I think I like them more. I think this is a really weirdly transitional issue. Mm-hmm. And they try to make it interesting by actually having an antagonist, i.e. the uh, Prester John character. Yeah. But a lot of this is really just, we're between stories, like yeah. we're not we're we're kind of packing our bags in Wakanda, but we haven't left yet. The Inhumans don't really know how to get out of their bubble yet, and yeah. Johnny isn't really off to find Crystal yet. It's just all kind of in between. Yeah, but like, okay, one, and I need to just get over this, I guess. But Johnny's obsession with Crystal is bonkers to me. Still, it is one of the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But that's There's just no rhyme or reason you. to it. It's, you, right. It is just 60s teenage angst romance stuff, but yeah. it's over the top. And then he needs a way to like defuse this magical bubble, and then he just happens to sink into the mysterious civilization that has a weapon that diffuses magical bubbles. It's like, ugh. That was a little ugh for me. Yeah. Uh, but hey, there's baseball. This is the first time we get baseball, which is a super superhero cliche. Very X-Men. It's very X-Men, but I'm sure the Avengers have done it, too. Like, lots of teams, for some reason, like to play baseball. And it always just seems weird because the power levels are so different. Like, how could it ever be fair? Right. Like, Ben's pitching, and he's got all that strength. He can throw an 800-mile ball, which will Mm -hmm. fly through Johnny's hand. Yeah, it would just break the bat or the ball or both and And kill them all. I know exactly what you were saying when you stumbled over Black Bolt and Black Panther. and There are lots of black people with the names, but we mm-hmm. are, after all, in Wakanda. Yeah, I didn't mean that kind of black people. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny. There are a lot in this issue, more than we there have are. had in any other comic. That's true. There are, yeah. Um, I like this beginning. I mean, the, aside from the base, I, I don't know. I do like superhero baseball, but it is also kind of stupid. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But right. it's kind of fun. I, I, I think I like it just because it's downtime, which is something you don't always get in comics, superhero comics. Uh, I like downtime. I think they should do that more often. And then there's all this downtime in the beginning in the uh, wherever they are, the throne room or something, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed, too. I will, a little nitpick, though, uh, the, a piano concerto requires an entire orchestra, so why this famous pianist that they brought in to play piano for them would play a concerto is kind of weird. There's that is kind of weird. Plenty of other options if you only have a piano. Right. And also, that kind of makes Wakanda not that secret at this point in the world. Like, they're just bringing in random... Just bringing in dudes. Hey, this guy's famous. Let's bring him in. Yeah. I did figure out finally why Ben Grimm has been so mouthy through all this. Okay, he's racist. There's that. Uh-huh. And that plays in the fact that he re- he's realizing that Wakandan people uh-huh. probably have more cultural depth than he does. 
Oh, yeah. And being a racist, he expected them to have less. Yeah. So he's well, feeling he was, shown up. He was much nicer in this issue. I think he was just he he just said less <laughs> in this issue. <laughs> right. He did he did not make any references to African uh jungle movies or whatever he kept going on about last time. But the stuff with Johnny and Crystal also kind of reminds me of Doctor Strange and Clea. Like that mm-hmm. one brief contact followed by months and months of pining. Mm-hmm. At least we know Crystal's name through all this. Yeah, and Doctor Strange didn't really necessarily go out of his way to help her and he wasn't doing it necessarily out of love either, but more like right. she saved his she saved his butt, so he felt obligated to save hers, maybe. Yeah, there there are definitely differences. It just kind of reminded mm-hmm. me it's it's yeah. similar. It's true. And even Cap like is madly in love with Sharon for unknown reasons that he can't figure out, like way too quick. Right. So that's just a sixties thing. I, I understand that. But still at the same time, it's kinda like, uh Um, I don't know. The stuff with uh, Maximus I read with maybe a bit more menace, actually with Gorgon and Maximus, like it's not really drawn with that much menace, but Maximus' comment, oh, I forgot you can't speak, almost mm. sounds like a jab. And then Gorgon's smile in the next panel, I I imagine is having like a growl and a snarl under it. I'll speak for Black Bolt. I know he had like best of all. Can you do something about this? Bl-? You know, and anyways, that was a weird. I liked that panel. And then it kind of went nowhere. It seemed like Gorgon was buttering him up and trying to reverse psychology him. Like, can you make something that shatters the barrier? I don't think you're able to. Right. And then I was waiting for that to happen next, like to prove that he could or couldn't. And then they kind of didn't really do anything with it. Yeah. I'm skipping forward. Oh, uh, well, he does say that he's, um, he helps Triton instead. Almost like he got distracted, like he was building mm-hmm. stuff, and then it's like instead of making a, a a wall opener, he gives Triton some some right. circulating pumps. So if anybody out there is a huge fan of Triton, it's Fantastic Four fifty four, where he gains the ability to not have to be underwater all the time, which so cool. is worth because when we first got to the Triton part and he had to be in the water all the time, I was like, they don't keep that; that doesn't no. stick around. But yeah. I forgot they um, plot device their way out of it. Yeah, they gave him uh, like a tubes or something that attached to his ankles and wrists that somehow help him with mm-hmm. water, I guess. Um, I kind of liked yeah. Reed and Suge being drawn all sexy on top of page seven. Like they're both like, hey, let's let's go on the covers of magazines here. I liked their little like chasing each other around and she like trips him in the game. And yeah, and then, cute. and then they're going to go like have some fun and they dress normal. And I also like that they're not in the issue in a way like Johnny goes off to do the dangerous stuff by himself, mm-hmm. which was kind of neat. Now, what do you think about this whole, like why is Wyatt sudden? Why is it like a given suddenly that Wyatt is involved in everything? It's kind of weird, right? It does feel a little weird. I, I wonder sometimes what the purpose of Wyatt Wingfoot is in this little run of issues. Cause he's around for, you know, a notable while, but mm-hmm. then not really much after that. It's like um, on page eight, he's like, I still have a few weeks left. Also, Johnny, your brother-in-law and sister won't need me tagging along after them. And I'm thinking, was that an option? Did they offer? Right. Why, uh, why not just take you home? Why did they bring you in the first place? Yeah, you, you could just go home. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's a sad idea for him. Maybe he doesn't want to go home. Yeah. And that'd be cool dialogue if like, he said something like, you know, I have no family to go home to. And then Johnny said, you can hang out with me because you're my roommate. But that never happened. Instead, they took him while he was napping. 
So what's weird is in the X-Men issue we're going to talk about that comes out the fall uh, the first week of the following month, mm-hmm. um, Jean Grey is going to go to college and it's right? a summer enrollment because these are summer release comics. Uh-huh. So when he's like, I have a few weeks left, they're on he's summer in, break right now. They are. And they even mentioned that in that comic, I think. So it's been an entire school year of college for Peter I, and Johnny. I guess. Oh, Peter, too. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's one of those years that, like, Christmas happens, but it hasn't really been an entire year in their lives kind of thing. Maybe. Um, Prester John, uh, I guess, is a thing. Like, a real, not a real thing, but, like, a story thing. Oh, is Prester John an leg- actual legend character? Yeah. What did you find out about him? Or did you look at no, the up? I just wikipedia and then I forgot what it said. But basically, oh. or was he real? See, I'm really giving a lot of information here. Let me see. Well, while you're looking that up, I was kind of confused because he links Avalon with King Richard the the, the first. And I'm like, wait a second. King Richard has nothing to do with Avalon. Avalon's a King Arthur thing. But then it comes out later that he was with King Richard and then wandering the world, he found Avalon. Okay. Well, I still don't know if they're... Boy, okay. So Prester John was a legendary Christian patriarch and king who was popular in European chronicles and traditions in the 12th and 17th centuries. Does that mean he's fake or real? Uh, means he's n- not verifiable. Okay. So legendary in the 12th so, century. That'd be the same time frame as Richard. Okay. Well, there's an entire Wikipedia about what legendary things he may or may not have done. Okay. So, so he's, a, he's an established person, either fictionally or whatever, before Marvel got a hold of him. A Christian patriarch, presbyter, and king. Where was he king of, though? Well, I'm sure it's in that article somewhere. At first, he was imagined to reside in India. and Well, maybe that's why this Marvel story has him in all these different places, because they don't nail it down. Okay, I can buy that. I don't know. It seems like he's this immortal traveler. They don't really talk about... I don't know. Is it just because they say he's Prester John, we're supposed to just accept, oh, okay, that's Prester John? Because, like... Why is he still alive? You know, they don't talk about that. Really. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Why is he there is a great question, except he's seemingly immortal somehow, some way. Somehow, some way. I did, whenever Johnny and Wyatt got sunk into the sand, I did turn the page half expecting the mole man to show up. Oh, I know. Thank God it wasn't that, at least. But um, I actually mentioned this evil eye story a little bit back when we were talking about Thor. I hadn't realized that the warlock's eye story over there was done so close to the evil eye story over here. Mm. You would think that two eyes would feel normal, but it feels like too much. Does he say where he got the evil eye? I don't remember. I think it was Avalon. It doesn't sound very King Arthur-y to me, an evil eye. Yeah, an evil eye that shoots lasers? I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That was in Camelot the Musical, wasn't it? I remember. (laughs) Freaking Johnny, like, that doesn't, uh, that's not a criticism. That's totally Johnny. He didn't even, like, try and ask it all nicely. Right. He just grabs it and runs. What a dork. That guy probably would have let him use it or used it for him if they let him tag along or something. He seems like a decent guy. He just has, he's used to, you know, being in charge of his own self. And so he fights back a little bit whenever they, you know, step on his toes. And he doesn't know who they are. And there's some dude. That's on living fire. I mean, that could be a threat. So, yeah. Um, Johnny, Johnny. 
I found page 13 with all the wanderings mm-hmm. fascinating. And so well, I yeah. looked up each of the elements. Okay. Okay. So he says that he sees like vessels being carried in the air by large flat silk woven carpets uh-huh. that are actually large flat balloons with helium in them. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's ridiculous. It, it, yeah. It's a cool idea and it feels historical, but the, the, the flying carpet idea is a 1001 nights, you know, the Arabian nights entertainment story. That's, that's right, where that right. comes from. So uh-huh. that, that's a collection of Middle Eastern folk, folk tales. One of those involves a magical carpet that flies and that's where we get the idea. Okay. Um, so the concept of Yeti, abominable snowman in the Himalayas goes all the way back to Himalayan cultural deities and outside people wondering if they might really exist up in the mountains somewhere. Uh huh. So they, they worshiped beings in the mountains and, and people who didn't understand that it was a religious belief thought there were actually things up in the mountains and stories were created and spread. Well, and everything's real in the Marvel universe, right? Right. But the bottom two actually have some basis in fact. So Cathay is an old European name for China. And they did have rocket weapons in the 13th century around Prester John's time. Wow. And while it's hard to say which Central American culture is being represented in the last panel, um, we have no evidence that any of them had a concept of a round Earth. Um, The Mayans had the most advanced astronomy, as far as I know, um, but they, too, held to a flat Earth model. So they understood okay. the stars. They just didn't understand the earth being round. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So um, I did not realize that China had rocket based, but, you know, exploding metals and gunpowder and stuff that goes way, way, way far back. So it's not, it's not too inconceivable an ocean that they might have projectiles like that. Yeah. And it's just the Marvel universe spin on all that. So yeah. Yeah. That works. Um, but I am running out of things to say on the comic. Yeah, nothing. Well, I guess they made it all the way to Crystal's Dome. So theoretically, next issue, Black Bolt succeeds and they escape. And then Johnny and Crystal get married. And Wyatt Wingfoot becomes the fourth Fantastic Four. Because Johnny's going to go on a honeymoon. Right. And we know from Legion of Superheroes that you can't get married and stay in the superheroes. No, of course not. I did think it was interesting that Black Bolt and Johnny were both trying to destroy the barrier at the same time. I thought that was an interesting coincidence. Mm-hmm. We'll find out if Black Bolt was successful next issue. Yeah, he probably died. Probably died. Um, so my turn, my turn. Yep. Amazing Spider-Man 4 Spidey saves the day. The end of the Green Goblin. <laughs> okay. Um, if you missed out last-ish... Because you are orbiting Earth on a spaceship, which is the only acceptable reason for a true Spidophiles copping out. All we need tell you is that Spidey has been captured and unmasked by the Green Goblin, only to learn that his ubiquitous enemy is none other than Norman Osborn, father of Peter's college classmate, Harry Osborn. And now, Tiger, you're on your own. Conceived in fantasy and dedicated to the proposition that all Marvelites are entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of comic book quality, so say we all. Stanley wow. Ryder, John Romita Penciler, Mickey DeMeo Inker, Sam, Lo- Sam Rosen Letterer. Okay. Norman Osborn tells Peter his life story. He sets <laughs> Peter free. 
They fight. Peter wins and goes home. <laughs> and what happens to Norman? And Norman loses all memory of having ever been the Green Goblin because yep. of the explosion at the end of their fight. And that's the doctor right. that's been taking care of the really worried Aunt May yells at Peter for neglecting his aunt so much. Yes. Um, wow, you got it. The the parts the, the 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 meat of this issue is Norman Osborn's life story and telling all the things, all the encounters between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin from his point of view. Because it's his his contention that he has never lost to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um so he has to explain, and he's not wrong. He always got away from every single thing that they did. That's um, true. He's never been defeated by Spider-Man. Right. Right. So he tricked Spider-Man out to uh, the Hollywood situation. Oh, he also tells his origin story, how he was really awesome as a dad to Harry. Um, but mm-hmm. ha- Harry's mom had died when Harry was really young, and he had to use the business. And it's one of those things where the narration doesn't quite match the illustration. Mm-hmm. It's obvious, obvious from the illustration that Norman was always a very neglectful father. Mm-hmm. Um, but he thinks he was a pretty good dad. And then um, Mendel Strom uh, tried to get like his own rights to Spider-Man and credit for all the work that he had done on the character. No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Norman Osborn fired him and sent him to jail. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so you're saying Stan Lee's nor- or Green Goblin is what you're saying. I get it. Uh, the, I think we talked about that in 37. There were some parallels <laughs> I think going we on did. there. Yeah. Um, he finds some of Strom's notes of some strength enhancing formulas. He checks them out while um, Harry is off at parents' night at school. Uh, there's an explosion. He gets super strength, but also goes a little cuckoo, makes a goblin mask and a flying broomstick, which he turns into a glider. And he's like, all right, I can become the head of crime with this. Um, so he talks about, um, taking the enforcers out to the desert. He talks about how he, you know, realized that Spider-Man was going to be a problem more than he had expected. So he attacked Spider-Man during a fan club night. Human Torch got in the way. And at that point, Spider-Man's like, as I remember, you ran away scared. But remember, listener, Spider-Man ran away scared from that story because mm. he found out his aunt was sick and he bailed on the fight. And right. That's what gave us the big Spidey Quits trilogy of 17, 18, and 19. Um, so then he's like, okay, so I went up against the crime master and I got you that time. You were in my clutches and I would have won if not for those kids. Um, during all this time, Peter's like trying to get out of the bonds that he's tied with. And he's like, I'm getting a finger loose. I'm getting a hand loose. If I just keep him talking, I can get free. And then Grigama's like, haha, just kidding. And he releases the bonds on Peter after saying like 20 times that you're going to sit there and die. And I'm going to watch you die. He then's mm-hmm. like, Oh no, we're going to fight. So, mm-hmm. um, they fight and they fight and they bicker and they fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually there is an electrical explosion that knocks uh, green goblin out. He's concussed. Uh, Spider-Man takes off his mask so he can breathe. Uh, Norman Osborn wakes up and realizes he needs to get to Harry Osborn's parents night at the school. And Spider-Man's like, well, crap, he's forgotten everything since he became the green goblin. So he takes Osborn's clothes off and burns them. 
and -hmm. puts other clothes on him and walks him out and says, hey, I saved this guy from the Green Goblin. Police, fireman, you take care of Norman Osborn here. I'm going to go. And he goes and he goes home. While this has been happening, Aunt May has been super worried about Peter. He didn't come home from school. He's been out for hours. He didn't call. The doctor has come to the house and uh, he gave Aunt May a sedative so she'd calm down and, you know, take a nap. And he's like, dude, where were you, child? I told you to keep your aunt stress free. She's going to die. And Peter's like, I'm so sorry. And Aunt May wakes up and is like, oh, Peter, you're here. I worried about you. Here, drink some soup, Peter. I got some soup for you. And Norman Osborn's taking care of his dad. Oh, also, Betty Brant came back. Oh, yeah. Came back to New York. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what am I going to do? Yet. Am yeah. I going to talk to Peter? Am I going to talk to Ned? Am I going to get my job back? Mm-hmm. The answer to all those questions, kids, is yes. She is going to do all she, those things. She was in Chicago, if anybody has been wondering. Yes. I don't know. Not the play. What. Huh? Not the play. Not the play, the city, yeah. Or at least she's traveling through Chicago. We don't know if she was in Chicago, I guess. I don't know. So um, uh, so this is weird. Like, Obviously, it's very good, especially if you compare it to other things we read. You know, right. this is a triple as good as like you know any average X-Men issue we read right now or something like that. It's very entertaining, but I keep feeling kind of like... And maybe it's because I've never read this before and I just have this really high bar for this, oh, Green Goblin thing, you know? But, like, it seems, like, kind of rushed after all that setup to me a little still. I mean, it's wrapped up in two issues, you mm-hmm. know? Most of the drama was in the first issue. And most of the drama was in the first issue. But even then, that seemed accelerated because we went from, like, not even hardly knowing Norman Osborn to, okay, there's this guy named Norman Osborn who's a mean dad and he's the Green Goblin, and he knows who Peter is, and kidnap, and to be continued. It's like, whoa, that could have it been does, eight issues. It does make you wonder how long Ditko might have waited before pulling the gun, pulling the trigger uh-huh. on this reveal. Because yeah. he had just introduced Norman Osborn, uh-huh. what, three issues away from his end? I think it was in 36. We yeah. meet him. He's hardly in. Yeah. No, he, he kills Mendelstrom in 37, and he tries to get bad guys to kill Spider-Man in 38. Right. The last issue. Right. So it's mm-hmm. only two or three issues that he's in before mm-hmm. Ditko leaves. Right. So would Ditko have waited longer? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. And I would, I, I almost want to say like, well, maybe it's because we read these faster than your average month, but we kind of don't. I mean, we have a lot of issues between issues on this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm reading these back to back. I'm not marathoning this like Netflix. Right. Uh, so it does seem a little fast. And my other criticism before I stop complaining about this issue is I don't feel like they really flesh out all the details I wanted from his origin, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, like what does he do for a living, I guess, is a thing I don't really understand. And also, why a goblin? Where did that come from? They kind of just cut that part. Like, he gets in the explosion, he wakes up even crankier than he was. And now he has a glider and a goblin suit and wants to be a criminal. Like, there seemed to have been five pages missing there. Yeah, I was reading this to Keenan. It's just like, I'm stronger, I'm smarter, I'm tougher than anyone else. I have all sorts of scientific devices in my chemical company that I can use. Oh, that's great, Norman. There you go. Yeah. But then I could become the greatest costumed criminal of all time. Why? Why would, and why does this (laughs) idea of being a costumed criminal become an obsession? It could be because he's crazy. And I do think they convey that he's crazy fairly he's well. Definitely got some marbles rolling around. Yeah. 
Because my favorite thing about this issue is, like you were saying, and this is on purpose for once, as opposed to what we usually say about how the dialogue doesn't match the panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually on purpose. We get his dialogue of how he was as a father, and then we see what was actually happening. Yes, yes. It is, as I, I did father. not mean to imply that it was like a mismatch. It is intentionally right. done that he is right. misremembering everything. So it's like, my boy was great, and he wanted for nothing. But it's like, no, you were actually neglectful, always working, didn't help him with his homework, gave him presents instead of your time, told him to shut up at baseball games because you were trying to watch him. Uh so, yeah, that part was cool. I liked all that. So how long ago do you think his explosion was? Well, that's another nitpick for me then is like Harry's last issue, I think it was, was crying at school and Peter finally for the first time is nice to him. Uh-huh. And he's like, it's just my dad, man. Something's going on with my dad. Now, at no point did Harry say, you know, he was one way before the accident. And then after the accident, he keeps trying to kill me. Like, uh, he, he did mention that dad had changed. I don't think yes. he gave a time frame or mentioned an accident, but the dad. But it seems like a fairly obvious time frame. Like, like, uh, you know, his dad was maybe a, not a great father before. He was neglectful and a workaholic. But then, then he gets in this accident and they actually do brain surgery on him and he wakes up calling Harry like a sniveling, right. you know, wor- worthless. And like, he's clearly mean changed and mean now yeah so it's like at that point you'd think harry would go oh he's got some brain damage or something and did did we remember that strom was in prison for 10 years i do not i don't know no i didn't remember that but i th- i think he was released from prison at the beginning of 37 it was the end of his sentence and i want to say it was 10 years oh okay they don't say that in this i guess no they don't well the reason i bring up the time frame is because his first encounter with as the Green Goblin was Amazing Spider-Man 14, which mm-hmm. was during Peter's senior year and therefore during Harry's senior year. Oh, so it's been a while. It's been a year. Okay. Since then. You know, that's setting aside the 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 fluctuating timeline with this maybe being the summer months between terms. But you know, he Peter's well. early in college. It also assumes that he became the Green Goblin immediately after his surgery. Maybe it took years for him to. And that's where it would have. Yeah, that's where it had to be. There had to be some several year gaps between losing Strom and discovering the formula and then figuring out the formula, becoming a, uh, 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 getting the explosion, his recovery, mm-hmm. and finally getting to the, be the Green Goblin. We're talking about a really long stretch of time there. Right, and they just summarize it in two panels. So maybe that's my issue there. It's like there's no uh, Peter Parker. Gosh, I'm really strong moments mm-hmm. or anything. Or look at how smart I am now. I'm so smart I can invent this glider. Just like my childhood fantasies about you know mytho- mythology and folklore and how much I loved goblins. I could be a goblin. You know, there's none of that conversation. Right. Right. So what's going on? Why is he a goblin? There's no goblin crashing through his window. No, or talking like in the movie, the one that like how they kind of made him a, a schizophrenic or something. Yeah, yeah. Or multiple personality disorder. That was cool. That was cool. Like there was a goblin persona. Anyway. So it's 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 a crucial part of the history. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad comic. It's a really good comic. No, it is, yeah. But it's also a little bit weird in the fact that it's almost completely monologue from Norman Osborne. Uh-huh. Like that's a solid chunk of the story. 
And yeah. we break up the monologue by flashing to Aunt May and flashing to Betty Brandt mm-hmm. and then coming back over and seeing what's going on with Norman and Spider-Man again. Yeah. But it wasn't like bad Roy Thomas uh, dialogue where I was groaning every time I turned the page. Like it was a page turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just assume, I guess, the Green Goblin's origin will get fleshed out more as, you know, the next 50, 60 years goes by. Yeah. At some point. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how much it really does. I mean, it's it's more like just these basic ideas with a few mm. little bits in between. Um, I mean, this is the guy who's going to orchestrate the clone saga. <laughs> and yeah. During that situation, there's this thing that gets published called Norman Osborn's Journal. Um, but it's not very much about this time frame. It's more about, you know, over the next several years, him, you know, setting up the clones. But he does talk about his origin of that. As, the, as a guy who grew up with the Hobgoblin, mm-hmm. and shame on me for not remembering the writer, or maybe it was multiple Roger writers. Roger Stern? Well, initially, but then not, and I don't know. Anyway, he, he, he ended up finishing it off his way later, right? Or something like that? No, I thought, I thought Roger Stern wrote the bulk of the Hobgoblin. And he, then, yeah, he started it, but then the reveal wasn't his idea, so then he came back and fixed it or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Years later, he came back and did yeah. the origin of the Hobgoblin. Yeah, but all that, it seemed like Roger Stern read this and went, oh, those are really great ideas. Let's do that on steroids. Yeah, let's because, do more with that. Because, like, the Hobgoblin is like, who's the Hobgoblin? And that went on for a long time, and it was very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so, as said last time, these two issues are really Ramita wrapping up uh-huh. Ditko's mystery with the Green Goblin yeah. so that he could set it aside. Uh-huh. And now he's going to do his own stuff. So the next issue box, don't miss Peter Parker's startling decision, plus an all new, fantastically powerful super foe for Spidey. We're uh-huh. going to get into some some new ground, new bad guys, new stories. Betty Brandt's coming back, and Bermuda has his own stamp to put on that storyline. Um, oh my gosh, yeah. Betty! By the way. There, she hears overhears news about Spider-Man on the radio, and she's like, Spider-Man, gosh, he still gives me the chills. My brother, Peter, uh, can I handle Spider-Man? Anyway, I guess I'll go back to New York where Spider-Man lives. Right. So, of course, she's not going to handle that. Oh, well. Um, yeah. All right. I guess we really bash this issue, which is weird because I do like it. But no, I, I don't feel like we're bashing it. There, It okay. does have some like weirdnesses to it. Yeah. There. They're kind of negative, but not really negative. They're just odd. They're just odd. The art is gorgeous. Uh, and I like that he didn't die at the end because that would have been super cliche. Like, oh, he knows his identity, so he has to die. Yeah. That's uh, uh, 80 more issues down the road. Yeah. For some reason, I thought he was going to die, but that's just the movie influencing me, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that was cool that he didn't. So should we talk about what's going on this month so we can start rating some comics? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So this is a is this is a weird long month that we're not actually counting or something, right? Or you know we're not counting the whole month. Oh yeah, no, no. The June thirtieth stuff is just another round. So I put that with July, June thirtieth right. and July seventh will be the July books. Yeah, so that's going to make looking at this whole month thing on Mike's confusing. Oh yeah, you're gonna be. But anyway, well, we do have Daredevil nineteen, mm-hmm. which feels. No, never mind. I was going to say it feels like forever ago, but I, th- I got confused what the issue it was. This was the Gladiator and the Masked Marauder. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what's his brains? Foggy Nelson. Not to pretend to be Daredevil anymore. Right, Foggy, yeah. Tales to Astonish 83 with Namor going after um, Krang and Dorma. And mm-hmm. number one of the Secret Empire takes over him at the end. Yeah. 
we have the X-Men 23, the second half of Nefaria and the Strange Tales Squadron. Okay, yeah. Thor 131, where the uh, Rigelians want to colonize Earth, mm-hmm. and they're really scared of the Black Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And um, Thor goes into space to confront mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Also in the background, um, Volstagg fights people with the evil eye, and Thor um, Thor wins by pretending to be Hurricane. Mm-hmm. Then Sergeant Fury 33 is whenever they go to Greece and try to get the Greek royalty guy to band the uh, groups together. K- Sergeant Fury King Size Special 2 is where um, Saving Private Ryan was all done by Nick Fury. Tales of Suspense 81. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Return of the Titanium Man. Uh-huh. And Captain America versus the Red Skull Supreme with the yeah. Cosmic Cube. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's still more comics. Strange Tales 148. Uh, we have Death Before Dishonor, where Nick Fury goes up against um, the trial and fakes his death at the end to get away Ooh. and confront AIM and them on his own. Mm-hmm. Also, we get the uh, background story of the Ancient One and Kalu. Because there's definitely time for that. Mm-hmm. The Avengers 31, the Keeper of the Flame. And now mm. we're to current stuff. Fantastic 454 and Amazing Spider-Man 40. Yikes. That's a lot of comics, dude. It's a lot of comics and they're all kind of middling to me. I can't think of anything that like sticks out as yuck. Um, well, maybe X-Men, but that's just so easy. X-Men is a really easy yuck right now. X-Men and Doctor Strange are the easy yucks. Yeah, Doctor Strange wasn't great either, was it? Not really. Well, I guess I'll redeem Amazing Spider-Man number 40 and my all I did was complain about it by picking it as my favorite this month, because it was. Okay. So that was easy. Um, although I did... Yeah. Other ones I liked. I liked Iron Man. Cap was cool, but it also seemed like it wrapped up too easy, kind of. Mm-hmm. Given the stakes, I guess. I don't know. I guess I'll be lazy. I actually like Daredevil more than I thought I would, too. That was fun. I forgot about that. Yeah, I like Daredevil. I liked the Hulk this month. Oh, yeah. And the Hulk has been getting good. Mm. I'll stick almost, with Spider-Man, though. I almost don't want to pick Spider-Man because it is such an odd issue. But it feels wrong not to pick Amazing Spider-Man 40. I mean, it is their first encounter and stuff. So kind of a big deal. It's not every day the Batman beats down the Joker. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. But Yes. (laughs) Okay. So um, I actually did not write it down. What was your least? My least I didn't say, but I'll just say X-Men because it's easy. And it probably was the worst one. Okay. Because that was the one with the plant man and all that crud, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Blah. Um. I'm also going to pick the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange has the origin of the Ancient One. Mm-hmm. So at least there's that. And it's a new, was, cr- you know, new creative team. Yeah. yeah. Mildly interesting for the purposes of lore. Um, I didn't love Sergeant Fury this month. It's it's kind of low on my rungs. That and the annual. I think it might have been too much fear, too, like Fury overdose. Yeah, we had three Furies in one episode. Yeah. Um. But, so the, saying, but Strange Tales was pretty good with his court and all that stuff. Yes, that was good. 
do I say Spider-Man? I don't feel like I should say Spider-Man, but I do feel like I should say Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, I don't know. What's better? I liked Daredevil a lot. I liked Hulk a lot. Uh-huh. But that's not Green Goblin's first defeat. No, it's not. It's not. Um, why is Fantastic Four so weird this month? I know. Usually that's a competitor, but not when the Inhumans are involved. Okay. I'm... I just remembered how bad the Avengers was, and I'm like, do I change it oh. up for the X-Men? Oh, but, maybe. Yeah, the Avengers, that was pretty lame. But there were a few pages of the Avengers that I really liked. Um, I guess Spider-Man, yeah. So Spider-Man and X-Men for both of us. For both of us. All right. You know what that means? Another month? We're now halfway through 1966. Excellent. Which we talked about off mic last, uh, last time we got together. But yeah, halfway through 1966, so six more months... And then 1967 is going to be upon us, which is as far as I've gotten in my read through. So we're almost caught up to me. And we're kicking off the second half of this year with a king size. Woohoo. That really bothers me now that you, I don't know if you pointed that out on air or off air, off air, but the indicias on these things. Oh, this one's called Thor King size. So that's so okay. this. Yeah. Yeah. So this one's called Thor King size, but if you read the description, it's published monthly except September is semi-monthly. So it's still considered a part of the monthly series, not an annual, but for whatever reason, they're calling it King size. But Sergeant Fury, if you look in the credits, is just called Sergeant Fury, mm-hmm. which means there's two number two Sergeant Furies. That's, there are two Sergeant Fury twos. That doesn't work. That's not right. That's just illegal. Something's wrong. But anyway, <laughs> that bothers me. Like, how do you do that now? I don't know. You just call it Sar- Sar- Sergeant Fury King and ignore the fact that it's not, I guess. Anyway, King so I, ca- si- I call them all King Size Specials during this not annual phase, just to make it simple. But The Mighty Thor, King Size Special number two, Who Dares Defy Destroyer, all new. Plus a couple olds. Um, the Mighty Thor. It's actually called, oh, wow. It's called Who Dares Defy the Destroyer on the cover. But on the inside, it's called If Asgard Falls. Featuring the almost unspeakable menace of the indestructible destroyer. Scripted in solemn splendor by Stan Lee. Illustrated in an idealistic imagery by Jack Kirby. Delineated in delicious delicacy by... Vince Coletta, lettered in living luminescence by Sam Rosen, unaffected by the unabashed utterances of Irving Forbush. Odin has gathered the entirety of Asgard, and he's wearing a big golden hat, and he says, Welcome to the champion of Asgard thingy, which I guess is a thingy that happens every once in a while, and they all get together from all over the, not just Asgard, but other realms come And they all fight, I guess. And everybody's excited. It's like Olympics for them or something. And Odin lights the flames that are going to tell other realms to come and participate. And so this, like, really big, cool Kirby, like, Olympic torch thing shoots things into the air. And from all these other realms, it's like, ooh, it's time. Let's all go. And guess what else? A certain couple dudes floating in space who are, like, in – the Phantom Zone, basically. Loki and the Absorbing Man see the call also. And Loki's like, oh, it must be time for that Champions of Asgard thing. I wonder if I could use this to my advantage. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, we cut back to Odin lamenting that he can't participate because he's like old now and he's also in charge and it just wouldn't be fair. And Thor and the Warriors 3 are all super excited and they're strutting around 
waiting for the battle when they come across like kind of a barroom brawl and Thor goes in there and says, hey, no fighting until the fighting. And these guys that are all fighting are bad versions basically of Thor and the Warriors 3. So there's like a big buff guy. There's a sword guy. There's a mace guy. And there's a little tiny guy that um, what's his face challenges because he thinks he's tiny. Volstag thinks he's tiny. So, you know, he has a shot. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to o- or not Odin, back to Loki. Apparently, even though he's stuck in stasis and he's doomed to float in space forever for that one time he tried to take over Asgard with the Absorbing Man, he can still uh, mentally, you know, project himself to Earth because, dang it, they never turn that ability off with this guy. So he goes to where the... Um, the ultimate destroyer is buried from the last time we saw him and he possesses the ultimate destroyer body and he gets up and he says, I live again and heads to Asgard. Meanwhile, the Asgard champion thing starts. Apparently it's not a one-on-one, you know, one at a time round thing. It's just a free for all. So like everybody's just fighting everybody. Uh, Volstag, goes to fight that one guy who's tiny, but it turns out that guy has like illusion powers and it freaks Volstag out when he creates this big giant ram looking monster. But then he thinks, oh, it's just illusions. I can take that on. But while that was all happening, Loki as the ultimate destroyer got past Hemdil and is making his way to kill Odin and Volstag uh, 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 mistakes the ultimate destroyer for an illusion and attacks it. And the ultimate destroyer, you know, knocks him down into the rubble and proceeds on into the games. Uh, Thor confronts Loki slash ultimate destroyer and they get into this big fighty fight, 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 a very powerful fight because, you know, they're both real powerful guys. And of course, Thor is losing because he loses every time he fights the ultimate destroyer. And the ultimate destroyer is about to super zap Odin by raising his, you know, that visor thing he has. And he's going to shoot him with eye beams. When all of a sudden, like, I guess the soul or something of Balder shows up. Because they were all wondering, where's Balder this whole time? He should be into all these fights. I guess Odin sent Balder's soul or spirit or green essence to find where Loki is floating around. So Odin or so Balder comes back, says, I found him. And Odin says, Cool. Now that I know where he is, I can reach out and memory wipe him. So he finds him, he memory wipes him, and then of course Loki doesn't even remember that there was a Asgardian thing and that he's in the Ultimate Destroyer. And suddenly the Ultimate Destroyer falls over because he's empty and Loki is still stuck in his place where he was before. Only now he has zero memory about it. And Odin says, I'm awesome. And all of Asgard raises their swords and says, Yay, you are awesome. And Volstag uh, tries to get out of the rubble. The end. And Odin made all their armor gold. Oh, yeah. Every year on this day, all of your armor will turn gold for a day. And that'll be great. Hmm. What would be really great is if they actually followed up with that and did that. Right, right. If they all remembered, hey, my armor's gold. This must be that one day. That'd be cool if, like, he's just in Avengers and, like, Iron Man does a double take. Were you gold this whole time? Oh, must be July whatever. Right, right. Um, Loki looks like the friggin' android prototypes from that Star Trek episode. The green 
mm. flaky putty android bodies. What are little girls made of? That's the episode title. Mm-hmm. And the absorbing man is there with him, but he hardly gets a mention. He gets just one. Concerned. He gets one dialogue balloon. Yeah. Yeah. This was cool. Um, this was like. As King Size or Annuals go, especially for Thor, this was the best one. Yeah, definitely enjoyed this more than Hercules. It was an extended story instead of a shortened story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, not super high stakes, but it was kind of, you know, epic feeling and Asgardian adventure. And Well, you know, the one thing that Thor can't beat is the uh, ultimate destroyer. So to have it possessed by Loki is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. This feels kind of like, what do you expect Thor to be doing on Asgard between Avengers stories? He's doing mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, weird continuity note. Uh-huh. Because of continuing stories and issues having cliffhangers going one into the other, mm-hmm. this story actually has to be set quite a bit down the road. Okay. After, after issue 141. Holy crud. And we're going to be doing 132 next episode. So basically 10 months down the road. So the Tournament of Titans seems like a thing that should be revisited at some point, but I don't know if it ever is. I have no idea if it is or not, but yeah, I feel like it's the sort of thing that they should do from time to time. And it seems also like that people from Earth should be invited because they get more and more powerful as the decades go by. Mm -hmm. So, you know. You can invite some superheroes. Yeah. Does Wonder Man want to play in the Tournament of Heroes or whatever it's called? Tournament of Titans? He's a pacifist, dude. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they do say some of the realms. I didn't pronounce them because I can't pronounce that stuff, but I don't know. I'm still not exactly sure how Asgard and other realms work exactly. So It's a bit more concrete in the movie universe with them being actual planets linked together. Yes, um, there's like nine, and that's all you have to keep track of. Right. Well, there are nine realms here, mm-hmm. but um, some of the realms have cities on them. So Right. So is Gim- Gimmersgard? Where the heck's that? I don't know. I don't recognize that one. Wind giants. I don't know. I feel very relatable to Odin in this because he is feeling sad and depressed. Mm-hmm. So he wraps mm-hmm. himself in a fuzzy robe. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yes. He actually wasn't too irritating in this one. No, he was just feeling his oldness. Mm-hmm. Um, of the evil twins of uh-huh. Thor and the Warriors 3, one of them has a name that we actually know from the lore. Oh, okay. uh, this is Tyr. We have seen Tyr briefly before, and this is a completely different design for him. Who? Which one was Tyr? Um, Hogan's or or uh, or uh, Fandrels or Thor's or Fandrels. Fandrels. Okay, the guy with the sword. Right. So remember the story where Balder um, was being tested to see if he was really as awesome as everyone said he was. Uh huh. And several different Asgardians like put him to a test. Yeah, Tyr was in that and like shot oh. an arrow or something. Okay, I forget. but he was wearing like armor and stuff. This some people say this is not actually even the same character, but they're so far apart right now that they might have intended this to be Tyr. Forget they'd already used him, and the next time they use Tyr, they're going to forget this too. So yeah. it doesn't really matter. Well, this is centuries later. Sometimes people change styles. This is true. Maybe he got a hat. I don't know. Very fancy hat. Just because Thor never changes. But for what it's worth, Tyr is... Well, Tyr is the Norse god of war, and he is the namesake for Tuesday. Oh. Well, it's interesting they don't seem to know who Tyr is, so maybe this isn't the same guy, because you maybe would think is, they would know the Norse god of war. This is true. And he's like, does, I'm Tyr. And they're like, oh, well, I'll beat you up. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, that that actually really solidifies the idea that this is not actually the, just some other guy with the same name. Maybe their parents named him after the god of war. I like that. Yeah. I'm sure one of Volstag's 75 children is named Thor. <laughs> yeah. I love Volstag in this. Yeah, of course. I'm sure I, 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 fate has obviously chosen me to fight this one right here. I'll fight the little guy. I'm so brave. Do you remember, or have you ever seen Kung Fu Hustle? No. Okay. Well, that's not going to work then. But go see Kung Fu Hustle. It's funny. Okay. Just make sure oh. you're willing to read because it's in uh, uh, not English. I watch subtitle stuff all the week long. So. Okay, good. I think it's on Netflix, so check it out. Loki as the Destroyer is terrifying in this. Oh, great splash page, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. And I like the arena page on the next page. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's like a far up lookout tower shot down on the arena. Mm-hmm. Really starting to embrace splash pages, these people. That's like another one with two in a row. Yeah. Also, this is an annual, so like you have space to yeah. open up. Yeah, which is good. Uh, very few pages in this have more than four panels on them. Uh-huh. A, some of them have three. A lot of them have three. But most of them have four uh, and occasionally more, but four is a lot. I just realized Vog, Vols, Volstag has a pillow wrapped around his butt the entire he does whenever he gets his butt kicked by the bad guys he has a pillow on his butt (laughs) this is the most volstag the volstag has been yes page 21 he's all where would it go where did it go page 21 he uh he's fighting the bad guy and he turns around and you know i i'm i'm valiant volstag then why are you quaking in fear Fear? The word is a stranger to Volstagg. I'm just trembling with, with, with eagerness. Yeah. And he hides and cowers with his pillow butt out. The monster, is he gone? Oh, just when I was ready to turn around and vanquish him. How disappointing. Are cer- yeah. Are you certain he's fled? <laughs> I wonder, I mean, I'm sure we'll find out someday, but I wonder how the Warriors 3 became the Warriors 3 and why he was invited. <laughs> <laughs> Considering how much like Thor and those guys love fighting, like why hang out with this guy? In my head, he used to be slimmer and fitter and oh. was actually a solid warrior. And over the that years, he's just not doing quite as well as he once did, and he no. realizes that. Yeah, yeah, that could be. That works. Um, let's see. Page 23. Oh, yeah. I just wrote down that there's an important um, distinction between movie destroyer and this destroyer. Uh-huh. Movie destroyer seems to be a, a force of defending Asgard, and mm-hmm. although it follows Odin's commands, it's it's self animated. Mm-hmm. It's so this just like is, a robot or something. Yeah, this is a husk that uh-huh. will do nothing unless some being inhabits it. Right, and it was intended for the final defense of Earth which means it will definitely defend Earth against Asgardians. Also, a major difference is in the movie, Thor beats the Ultimate Destroyer in three seconds, and in the comics, he can't beat it ever so far, Mm -hmm. which is a big deal. The bit where the Destroyer is stalking towards Odin and lowers his visor and is about to blast, and Mm -hmm. Thor Mm -hmm. can't stop him. Yeah. Great moment. Yeah. The Balder thing is a little weird. I think maybe it's mostly weird because they don't actually ever show Balder. That it's like this weird Balder spirit thing. Yeah. Well, the third panel, he turns into a person. He's standing behind Odin. Oh, there he is. Yeah. But ha- if they had established Balder earlier in the issue, somehow, that would have been way, better. Yeah, you're yeah. right. 
That would have been way better. Because this but way, it, is, it just seems like, what is that, does ex machina or something like that, where it's just like a thing that happens to fix the problem? Yep. Yeah. Almost literally here, since these are gods. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. So first Loki was made into green android putty, and now he's lost his memory and his mind while he floats in space. How's he going to get out of this one? They finally turned off his one main power that he always uses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't, um his next appearance is not for a while because uh, this takes place after 141, and so Loki's not going to show up again until after that. Mm. But um, should we go on to some, some astonishing events? Well, I just want to say the rest of the King has nothing oh, yeah. interesting, but it does have reprints of Journey of Mystery 96, which was his first, his, uh, his fight with Mad Merlin, who wasn't really Merlin, or who will turn out to not really be Merlin. Uh, oh, and then there's, I'm sorry, and then I thought this was unique, but it's not. Originally presented at Journey Mystery 103 is his first fight with Enchantress and the Executioner. No cool pinups, no cool information about, like, Don Blake's apartment or anything fun like that. It's just two more reprints. And then the issue's over. Yep. So that always bums me out a little bit. Like, come on, give me something cool. I think we might be past the cool phase. Already, with yeah. With these things, Yeah. So, Tales to Astonish 84 has a Namor cover of Namor um, running through town with the Hulk in the background on a poster. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of a cool combination cover. So, um, number one of the Secret Empire is leading Namor through town. Uh, he needs to go kill the Hulk. It's called Like a Beast at Bay. Note this sugar-coated synopsis is written more for our benefit than yours, so bear with us, huh? The evil secret empire, as seen in our co-feature, The Incredible Hulk, has been destroyed. All but the vengeful leader known as Number One. Finding the Submariner a victim of amnesia, the archvillain convinces him to find and destroy the Hulk. What they don't say is that these two events are completely unrelated by anything actually seen and described in the stories. <laughs> but somehow, they're linked in the narrative. Yeah. Um, fabulous script by Stan Lee. Fascinating art by Gene Colan. Fantastic inks by Dick Ayers. Freehand lettering by Sam Rosa. No computer typing for him. Nope. And Fancy Haberdashery by Irving Forbush. Where was he haberdashering back in the Thor King size? I want to know that. Right. Imperious Rex. Okay, so... The Hulk has been sighted in town, so the police are on the lookout. Namor is wandering through town following the commands of number one. He has a medallion around his neck that is giving him the commands. Um, he wanders aimlessly and runs across some cops. They shoot at him. He flees. He goes into a store to get some clothing to look more inconspicuous, but they catch him robbing the store. So he has to beat up a police officer and then leave. Um, there is a newsreel with the first pictures of the Hulk. So since he has to kill the Hulk, he figures it might be a clue to where the Hulk is on this newsreel. He goes in there and he watches the newsreel and realizes this is all you know, movies of past events. It's nothing actually current. So it's not going to help him find the Hulk. Um, meanwhile, there's this couple sitting next to him talking about how they've never, ever seen a superhero. And then Namor um, feels confined and gets claustrophobic and, you know, runs out of the theater. And they're like, oh my gosh, that really was a super person. Um, Namor's like, clothes are for losers. I'm going to throw these things off. 
and uh, he seems to forget number one completely. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, like af- after that, he sees the old Atlantean ship with Krang and Dorma out in the water. He's like, "Oh, that plot line! I want to go back to that one." And he flies after the ship and lands in the water. Next issue, the beginning or the end. God, do you remember the last time Submariner had agency? Because I don't. <laughs> like it's. It's just constant puppet master puppet number one, master number one. But even like before, even in between that, he's like a roid rage monster, so not really in control of himself. I mean, he is, but he's not. He's not acting normal. Uh, yeah, it's just like one thing after another with him right now. Um, what's weird is that they're talking about Hulk being in New York, mm-hmm. but like we haven't had that happen yet. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see how this intersects with the Hulk's narrative in the next story. It doesn't quite work. I'm not sure that it works at all. But um, but yeah, it's a little bit odd, the ordering of the story. Because last issue is whenever number one's like, I have to get the Hulk. And I have to send Namor after the Hulk. And oh, we're in yeah. New York City and we're going to do that. But the Hulk's like still out fighting Boomerang in the Southwest. So if they had had this Hulk story and like maybe the previous issue, that would have made more sense. A little bit more sense. Or at least having him arrive in New York. Right. I mean, I think it does work. I think if you – it works ultimately once you read all these issues. You could you could in your brain frame it however you want in terms of when Hulk actually lands in New York. And mm-hmm. somehow number one knows that he's in New York. So then he picks up Namor. While that's happening, they run into each other. It all works. But just like as you read it chronologically, it kind of is confusing. The, the thing that the, uh, is the problem is that when you're reading a story uh-huh. and you read one scene after another, it feels like they take place as quickly as you're reading them. Uh-huh. When really there could be big time gaps between scenes. There could be. Uh, and that's what we have to do with the Hulk is just ha- ha- insert some time in there at, once he gets to New York. Yeah, we don't know that, you know, October 12th is maybe Namer and, and October 9th is the Hulk. You know, we don't know. Right. May not be the same time, same day, same anything. Until um, the they cross officer, paths. Yeah. The police officer sees Namor and shoots at him saying he might be connected to the Hulk. That is some serious J. Jonah Jameson logic there. They have this big old special note about how Namor is not completely bulletproof, but basically is. It's like, he's not bulletproof, but it requires a rocket launcher to penetrate his skin. And I'm thinking, that's bulletproof, right? Yeah. I mean, pretty much. But it's also kind of golden age Superman. It's like the skin is really tough. Mm-hmm. Well, it really, it what it says actually is it takes more, requires more than a forty-five police positive shell to dent his skin, skin which can withstand the tremendous blah blah blah. So it's like if you could take a forty-five and it bounce off you, I think I don't know. That's bullet immunity as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, we have to we have to say bullet immunity because apparently that's what nerds say. <laughs> well, you said that as like the only place I've heard that is Shazam. I know that's the only place I've ever heard it too, and it made me roll my eyes really hard. So it's like I guess that's how we talk. Okay, so let's say that bullet immunity—it's a thing. Well, well, the Utes say all sorts of strange things. Like I, 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 I might have mentioned this before, but my son insists that it's Super Mario Bros. and Super Smash okay. Bros. Well, and I'm just I mean like, it is, but it isn't. Yeah. No, it's Super Mario Brothers. It's a friggin' uh, you know abbreviation, right? But everyone his age calls it that now. So, I mean, technically, is Bros 
even a word? I mean, you if know. you like have a bunch of bros, like, hey, bro. No, but I mean, would that be in the dictionary kind of word? I mean, as we're, as we're uh, being picky. Like, I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Um, there's a note about how Namor actually has met the Hulk before and like fought against him and fought with him against the mm-hmm. Avengers. And I had legitimately forgotten that. Or at least oh, yeah. in the context of this story, it hadn't they popped into up. my brain. Yeah. yeah. So i kind of glad they have that little note there. Hey, remember this happened? Namor can't remember, but you do, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. But what's kind of cool is that Hulk is almost a completely different Hulk than this Hulk also. He's, yeah. Like, this Hulk is much dumber now and much more just moment to moment. And that Hulk was more like, they done me wrong and I'm going to be evil to them. I don't think this one thinks that hard. So the trick with this story is that there is a panel a very notable, memorable panel in this story that is repeated identically in the Hulk story, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Well, once again, even though I, I'm really not necessarily loving Namor stories, but the art is just so freaking gorgeous. It's hard to hate also. Yeah. I love all this business where he's like, you know, terminatoring John Reese or whatever, trying to find clothes and getting attacked by cops and getting away and walking around in a trench coat in the city because he can't figure out who he is and what time period he is and where Sarah Connor airs. Like, all that's great. Um, but like you said, he also seems to just suddenly remember who he is, kind of. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's kind of – it's not even really subtle. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, don't touch me. I'm Prince Namor. You can't touch me. And it's like, wait, did you know you were Prince Namor when you started all this? Because you Maybe said you did just right then. Yeah kicks off his shoes and his wings come out he's like oh wait a second his his I'm it's, awesome it's like his arrogance reminded him of his who he was <laughs> which is a really powerful thing by the way he actually does have a powerful brain because if we recall didn't he shrug off mental control on somebody was it puppet master like he made something explode because he yeah because uh, he pushed it off no one else has ever done that so his ego is huge i guess and deservedly so. And deservedly so. Hulky Hulk? Hulky Hulk, sure. It's the same story, basically. <laughs> From a different point of view. Uh-huh. Rampage in the City. Beginning a new chapter in the award-winning series that delicately poses the age-old question, can a green-skinned introvert with antisocial tendencies find happiness and fulfillment in a modern materialistic society? Have they used that line before? Either they've used it before, or I remember reading it before. One or the other. Oh. Which one? The whole can of green skin introvert with anti all that stuff. Oh, I don't know. It didn't sound familiar to me, but maybe. Okay, maybe it's just from my last reading of this issue. Unanimously, <laughs> this issue is unanimously voted the best Hulk thriller ever produced by Mortal Man since the last one. Uh-huh. That's fair. S- script by Stan the Man Lee. Art, almost the whole blamed bullpen. Lettering, Artie Smarty Simic, and Therapy, Honest Irving Forbush. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Hulk is through with hiding. He's through with running. Nothing can hurt him. Doesn't need to be scared of anything. He jumps over to the army base, and there's nobody there. It's deserted. Everyone's gone. He's like, what can I do now? Huh. Wait, what's, what's, that, what's that word? Uh, Avengers. Are they our friends? I think they're my friends. I'm going to go find the Avengers. They'll know what to do. 
And he starts jumping across the country until he finds New York City. He's like, oh yeah, this place. This is where the Avengers are. So he lands in town. The military noticed an oncoming like speedy projectile, <laughs> but they don't know what it was. Um, the Hulk also finds a clothing shop, only this is like the big and tall store. So he uh, things up from Fantastic Four number one and puts on the trench coat and the hat and everything. Um, a police officer sees him, notes his green skin, is like, oh, that radar alert, that's the Hulk. So he puts out the uh, alert for the Hulk. Police cars start driving by. Hulk has to duck in an alleyway. And then he goes to the back entrance of a movie theater where there's a newsreel playing stuff about the Hulk. So this is where the time gap would have to go. That Like, he's on the run here for quite a while before he goes into this newsreel because we go from the Hulk being spotted at the top of this page mm-hmm. to in line with the Namor story at the bottom of the page. Um, so you think this is the fact that they spot him here, that has to be the first time that number one knows he's in the city? Yeah, no one knows he's in New York until after that point. Yeah, that's true. Um, also, he's walking around during the daytime when he gets his clothes. Mm-hmm. And I think everything with Namor and number one happened at night. So it could just be a matter of a few hours. But he got his clothes at night. So time is passing. Okay, so time is passing. But, yeah, uh, half a day later after a long... Yeah, so time's yeah. passing. Yeah. Okay, so while uh, Hulk is watching the newsreel about himself, Namor runs out. Mm-hmm. That face, I know him. Um, so it's that same panel from the previous story. Hulk's watching the video. He's like, wait a second. That's Boomerang. That's the Orion missile. And there's a note that says, in case you missed last issue... But this is not what happened last issue. This is what happened after last issue. They have. They never show this part yeah. in last issue. We left with Boomerang facing off with uh, Talbot for the Orion missile. We don't know what happened next. Here we find out that Boomerang, that Talbot stood his ground against Boomerang. Boomerang took him down. And Talbot was like, okay, you can't have this missile. I will destruct it and destroy the entire base. Rather than let you have it. And Boomerang's like, okay, fine, whatever. And he leaves. And Ross comes back and is like, Talbot, that's the best thing you ever did. Uh, here's a hug um, and a medal. So, um, and then they transported the Orion missile to Cape Kennedy in Florida, which is why that base was deserted when the Hulk found it before. Mm-hmm. So, now that we're all caught up to current events... Um, Hulk is wandering through New York. Rick Jones hears on the news that Hulk is around. Rick Jones is like, hey, wait a second. That's the storyline I'm supposed to be in. So I'm going to go. I'm in Florida here because he followed the army people. I got to get to New York. Um, You know, some people just like put wanted ads in the newspaper to like drive their car for them across the country because this is the 60s and people just do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go get paid to drive somebody's car to New York for them. So he does. He drives a car to New York City. Um, the Hulk is on the run, trying to hide. He's in the subway. He fights a train. Um, he jumps out of the subway, crashes through the ground. Nothing stops the Hulk. I'm free. Free to do what? And we'll find out next issue. Yeah. That was pretty fun. Yes, this was really weird and really fun. Like, this feels Hulk. Like, Hulk is just, like, yeah. staggering from, like, trying to figure out what to do with his life. 
and we don't know. Well, it's been a long time since the Hulk has interacted with civilization, I think. I feel like. Mm-hmm. He's always in the desert or fighting the leader or whatever. Like the last time was when – I almost want to say it was when Rick intermittently could control him. And at some point, Rick fell asleep, so he attacked a town and was eating their food. Well, there like, was the um, the Hulk versus the Fantastic Four versus the Avengers. That was in town. Oh, yeah. That was in town. So I just kind of miss that. I miss, like, human beings just freaking out that the Hulk's lumbering around breaking stuff. That was kind of neat. Yeah, I think that, you know, since the ongoing series started, he's been, you know, he's gone to the future. You're right. He's gone to space. He's been yeah. in caves. Tyrannus, the leader. Uh-huh. Um. So nothing like, back no, no, he's not like been a, a menace to any society or anything, really. Um, let's see. What were some things that I had written down? Pay, I, I, I liked, I, I, I kind of questioned his whole like Avengers thing. Mm-hmm. Hulk has very few positive connections with the Avengers. Right. It seems a little bit weird that he would want to go find them. Well, yeah. He says he vaguely recalls a time months ago when he was briefly part of a team. So maybe he just doesn't even remember what he thinks of them. This is like kind of a new-brained Hulk or a lesser-brained Hulk. So maybe he yeah. just can't remember that he didn't like them. I don't know. Or it's just an excuse to get into the city. I really like the narrative conceit of having the one key event and the one panel linking these two stories. Uh-huh. Um, and also this marks a crossover between the two stories within the anthology comic, mm-hmm. which is a trick that Marvel hasn't pulled Not yet. during yeah. their revival. It is... Not uncommon for Golden Age comics. You would have team-ups and combine stories between the different strips in an anthology book. Yeah. But they have not done that here very much. And while we're talking and 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 also I like the narrative, even though the caption kind of undermines it by pretending we knew this already. We didn't. I like that last issue, that subplot with Boomerang sort of ended on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And then this issue, Hulk visits the base, and it's been deserted, so we don't know what happened. Right. And then we find out what happened with news footage that Hulk watches, which I thought was a really cool way to do it. Although, I, w- I don't know. Does they do news footage in movies back in 1960? I guess they must have, because they're doing it. But yeah, I'm surprised. I, feel- I thought that was a 40s thing. I feel like the whole newsreel idea might have been on the way out by this point in history. Yeah, because they had actual TVs in their homes by now. We'd have to ask our parents. I don't know. Yeah. But I thought that was neat. Um, And considering that this was drawn by the entire bullpen, it's actually pretty consistent looking and pretty good looking. It's not bad. Yeah. It could have been a a big hot mess. I can't really tell who who drew it. Like, no particular style is poking out to me, but it looks okay. It looks good. So when Hulk is fighting the subway train... Uh-huh. And he lands on the third rail and takes a huge charge. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'm done. If they want to fight, I'll fight a train. Um, this is the moment when I realized I was seriously digging this chapter. Uh-huh. This was a fun Hulk chapter. It is. And last issue was fun, too. So maybe we're on a roll now. Somebody uh, recently tweeted about how we uh, positively reviewed a Hulk story. And I'm like... <laughs> We want to like the Hulk. <laughs> we do. I love the Hulk as a character, so I'm excited now that it's starting to pick up for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know what else I have to say if you're done. No. It, All it's, right. It's sort of an unexpected cliffhanger, just kind of like, oh, we know Rick's on his way, and we know Hulk just fought a train, but then, bam, we're out of the subway, and we don't know what's going to happen next. It's kind of like both Submariner and Hulk are in this meandering mode, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, they keep just sort of 
flowing through stories, but don't actually tie any of them up or something. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm hoping that I start enjoying the Namor version of that more, and I hope I keep enjoying the Hulk version of that. Yeah. It is amazing that both of these were fairly similar stories, just from different points Mm -hmm. of view. All Mm -hmm. right. So speaking of good, let's do horrible. No. (laughs) Spoiler, but I have not been enjoying X-Men, people. I don't know if I'm supposed to be, but I'm not. Okay. X-Men 24, The Plague of the Locust. Um, just in case this, oh, I need to make this bigger because my eyes are bad. Just in case this emotion drenched scene leaves any mixed up Marvelites feeling as if they've missed something. And by the scene, since you guys missed that is, uh, Jean leaving and taking some books about telekinesis with her and everybody saying goodbye. Uh, allow us quickly to fill you in at the conclusion of last ish, ish's big battle with the malevolent malevolent. Magia or Magia, a saddened Jean Grey received a shocking letter. Unaware of her dual role as one of the superpowered X-Men, her parents have withdrawn her from Professor Xavier's private school and are sending her to a more conventional college, which, by the way, did not happen last issue exactly, but that's okay. Yeah, that, that, that's not just recap. That's new information. New information. Editing by Stan Busybee. Lee, scripted by Roy Bookworm Thomas, art by Werner Worker Ant Roth, inking by Dick Doodlebug Ayers, lettering by Sam Pussycat Rosen. It's almost like this is going to be a bug issue or something. Um, So, yeah, she's leaving, and all the men are upset, Warren and Cyclops in particular, because she's supposed to love them back. They give her not only the books, but a parting corsage, and then Warren and... Cyclops awkwardly drive her to her new college, uh, which is a summer thing, as we talked about earlier. Some guy there named Ted Roberts is there to greet her and takes her in the arm, takes her by the arm and leads her inside to show her all about the place and also offers to like split a big orange drink with her and she accepts. So now both Warren and Scott are devastated and they will never see her again. This is the worst period of their lives forever. Meanwhile, at night, some dude in a locust outfit drops a bunch of baby locusts and they immediately start or in this farm like a hay field or something, wheat field, and they start eating it all up and then they get giant sized. The guy who owns the farm wakes up, sees this crazy, you know, men in black shenanigans going on and calls the, you know, police. The next day they come out and his whole wheat farm has been eaten and he's like, I tell you, it was a big giant monster. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't even make One cop's like, that doesn't even make sense. And the other cops are like, well, this is the Marvel Universe. It actually kind of does make sense. Where have you been? Um, Professor X learns about this. He decides maybe they were mutated locusts. So that's our domain because mutants. Go out there and find them. So they take their X helicopter uh, and they do find them because they're giant locusts and they're eating all these wheat fields. And their goal is to capture one as a sample. Locust, the guy in the outfit, uh, sees the X-Men and he bails because he's not ready to confront them. They have some shenanigans trying to capture one of these giant locust grasshopper things. But they finally get it with kind of with the help of the uh, the farmer guy because he comes along and sprays them all with you know some sort of gas or something. So anyway, uh, we cut to Gene and that guy Ted – and she's like talking about how lonely she is. 
And so he's like, well, let me take you for coffee. And while they're at the coffee, this guy named Doc Hopper comes in and all the kids start making fun of him. Ha, Doc Hopper, you like bugs and stuff. And he's like, I'll show you someday. I'll destroy the whole world. Well, never mind. I'll just take a coffee to go. And he leaves and Gene's like, he seemed evil. But, you know, I should probably stop looking for evil because I'm not an X-Man anymore. Uh, We cut to Doc Hopper. He goes home. He is evil. He's, uh, he pretty much has this, um, uh, he talks to himself for multiple pages and basically explains his entire thing, which is that he's, he feels like he's one of those scientists who is overlooked and he wants to make a big name for himself. So what he's going to do is make a bunch of different bugs giant, which by the way, he's just figured out how to do with an awesome gun now. So it's even faster. He's going to make them giant. He's going to make them attack the world. And then while that's happening, he's going to hopefully develop some sort of like, disintegrator repellent thing to save the world. And then everybody will think he saved the world and he'll be a hero. So that's his big plan. Uh, Cut to professor X who is checking out the giant cricket and decides that it's not a mutant, but it has been mutated. Uh, Jean shows up because it's the weekend. She's like, I wanted to hang out with you guys. And she mentions that she met this weird guy named doc Hopper and Professor X is like, tell me more about this guy with the last name Hopper who's into bugs and threatened the human race at Starbucks. And so he goes to visit Doc Hopper's lab and Doc Hopper's not there, but the dean of schools is so impressed by Professor X because he's like an expert in mutation and stuff that he lets him run rummage around Hopper's office. And he sees – and Professor X sees a map with a couple X's on it, one of them being where they found the locusts in the first place and another one being where maybe locusts are going to be. He sees the experiments. He puts two and three together, figures out that Hopper's behind all this. Uh, the X-Men go out there to look for him and this time he confronts them in full – locust outfit and calls himself the locust and they start fighting and he not only has the ability to make you know bugs giant but his suit he's wearing lets him fly and shoot things and so they have a hard time fighting him um at some point he makes all these big giant wasp things attack and Iceman has to put a frozen bubble around them and they're all gonna die except some other giant bugs that he created eat the original bugs, so whoops, nature, and they kind of save themselves. Uh, Hopper goes back to his mobile van where he's doing all his shenanigans, and suddenly Gandalf shows up, and he's like, hey, you shouldn't be a bad guy. And he's like, "What are you? who are you? I don't even know. I'm out of here. And he flies away and basically lands right in smack dab into the X-Men, so it was like kind of a trap. Gandalf, turns out, is actually Professor X dressed up for some reason. And using his new robot legs, they get into a fight again. And this time, he means business. Locust uh, makes bigger than ever, like these two giant cockroach beetle things. And Jean Grey's like, you know, I noticed that he's controlling these bugs with those antennas on his head. So I'm going to use my telekinesis and tie those antennas on his head into a knot. So she does that. He doesn't notice that she does that because he can't feel fake antenna on his head. Um, and suddenly those big giant beetles turn on him. They're not listening to him anymore. And they grab him. And he tries to – or no, he flies away and he makes it to his mobile van. But they go after him and they start shaking the van. And next thing you know, they're pushing it off the edge of a cliff. And they go with the van. So the van and the two giant bugs die. But Angel manages to pull Locust out of the van before he dies. Then 
Xavier Gandalf shows up and says, see, they could have let you die. So don't you think you should stop being bad? He's like, oh, my God, you're right. You know what? Maybe I'm mentally ill. I think I'll just throw all the rest of my tech down this crevice, too, and then I'll just walk home. And Professor X reveals that he's Professor X, and everybody's happy. The end. I stopped listening after the locust showed up. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, exactly. What the heck, man? So (sighs) we're getting into this era. Yeah. This no mutants era? Well, yeah, there's that. There's that. Definitely that. But also, like, I tend to like the character plots in this. Uh huh. Part in this phase of the series, mm-hmm. but they're such small parts of the issues. You know, I like that Jean is going to college. Yes, and that, that was the best part. Usually, when you use the phrase "it gives somebody something to do," you're kind of emphasizing the fact that they usually have nothing to do. I'm not really saying that, but it is. It's giving Jean a story. Mm-hmm. You know, she mm-hmm. has something to do, and, and so following her and what she's doing with her life is going to be a major point of the book for the next several issues. Mm-hmm. But all the stuff with the locust and the very obviously named Doc Hopper. God. Um, right. And he makes the locusts big and sends them to eat fields because Insecticons. It's a good thing and Dennis what? Hopper became an actor, right? He could have taken over the world. And Grace Hopper was a computer analyst. Um, uh, where's Ant-Man when you need him? That would have been a more interesting. I was definitely thinking of the Scarlet Beetle in this one. Yeah. Like, remember he made the Scarlet Beetle, or not, he didn't make it, but the Scarlet Beetle got really big and was controlling all the insects. Oh, that too. But it's like, this dude is just basically evil Ant-Man. Yeah, that's true. He is evil ant he is, he, is, he is evil Ant-Man. You're right. It would have been neat if there was a line like, based on research by Hank Pym, I figured out how to, but then that would mean Hank Pym is known, so he can't do that, I guess. But well, with all the uh, Johnny Storm name dropping, yeah, there's like... And I totally forgot that Gene goes to the same college as Johnny Storm. I'm pretty sure that never gets used. Oh, but, it but they been. do have a thing on page eight where they show what's basically Wyatt Wingfoot and Johnny Storm. Because the artist right. thought that's, that should happen. But then they do a caption that says, no, that can't be happening because they're in the Himalayas. So these guys just Remember? look like it. Gosh, Werner Roth, what are you doing? Right. Um, that would be cool it- if there was Johnny Storm in this once in a while or something. At the same time, Thor can't be fighting in the Tournament of Champions because he's actually in space going to Rigel. Right. So y- 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 you got to be able to do stuff like that. Well, they did say it was summer school specifically. She's getting mm-hmm. a leg up on fall, and they specifically said in FF that they are off for the summer. So I don't know. So if we forget about the whole timeline thing and just focus on the, the time milestones in the story – Mm-hmm. She basically missed a year of school. Mm-hmm. She graduated high school and then didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. And now it's the summer. Mm-hmm. And so her parents are like, Jean, what are you doing? You're going to go to college now, okay? <laughs> Which makes sense. And also, yeah. it actually opens up the door for like, how come none of the other parents are complaining? We know, for instance, that Warren comes from a highfalutin family. Like, do they not want him to go to college? Oh, you're right. Uh, they don't know he's a mutant either. I don't, um, we don't. Do we? Cy- do we know the rest of them? I don't know. I can't Cyclops' remember. parents are out of the picture. Well, yeah, but do we know that, or do we just know that because we know that? Uh, I think we, you're right. I think we just know that because we know that. I'm trying to remember who um, we've actually met. I think only Jean's and Warren's parents. Yeah, I think because right. Jean's parents have been to the school, and Warren's parents have been to the school. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've heard that Cyclops is an orphan. And we got Beast's like discovery of his powers. Mm-hmm. But we don't know where his parents are, what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out later that they have been made to forget they have a son. Uh, but, you know. Well, that's why he's not going to college then. <laughs> well, and also the thing is, like, he does go to college. Like, oh, but that's a whole thing. He goes off to college in his own series. Mm. Um, or does he go to work? I don't remember. Anyways, um, why does Xavier dress up as old man Jenkins at the end? I don't know why he needed to do that. And why doesn't he also just say sleep and the guy fall asleep? Right. Why is, I mean, okay. So Xavier's turning over a new leaf. I won't just make him do stuff. I'll try to persuade him. And I'm really bad at that. So I'm going to put on a beard and a weird <laughs> outdated clothes. Oh, okay. this is how you, this is how you persuade people. Right, Scott. Okay. I'll say, headcanon okay, this dad. and say that this dude is a scientist. His boss knows who professor X is as a leading scientist or a leading, you know, expert slash scientist in mutant, whatever. So maybe he doesn't want to be associated with the X-Men by being out here with a walking stick at the same time as the X-Men. So he puts on a beard. Mm-hmm. But still, is that helpful? I don't know. It didn't do anything. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. It was kind of dumb. But we knew that was Professor X the entire time. And then it says that he was like trying to rile Hopper up so that whenever the X-Men went after him, he was already mad. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make any sense. No. It would have been much easier just to tell him to go to sleep. But whatever. Yeah. Um, tell the poor Vanisher that this whole new lifestyle you have. Vanisher can't remember shit. (laughs) I laughed whenever Gene, whenever Scott and Warren, both full of hormonal anxiety over Uh the departure of their loved one, Uh um, they get to the dorm and the guy at the dorm is like, okay, I'll take it from here. And Gene walks away and doesn't look back. It's just like so much for pathos. (laughs) Well, but she says, She's trying not to look back because she loves him right. too much. But he doesn't know that. No. Oh, these thought balloons are painful. And sometimes it's painful because it's like, yeah, I've had those same thoughts because they're stupid. But uh, mostly it's just immature painful. I like the moment you mentioned in the recap with the different attitudes from the cops. Usually when there's a naysayer, they're all naysayers. But one mm-hmm. guy's like, I don't believe this is happening. The other guy's like, have you looked at the comic book that you're in? <laughs> right. Because these guys have been around for over a year now. <laughs> How anyone in the Marvel Universe could ever say this couldn't be happening. It reminds me of like any episode of Star Trek where the, where the characters are like, you didn't see that. Are you kidding me? Every episode we see something. Why would you not believe that? They tease the idea that Gene recognizes Dr. Hopper. They did. And then they never do anything with that. They did. I wondered about that too. Why I would feel she? Like, I feel like they forgot because... You would think that's why she came back to, to the X-Men to talk about Dr. Hopper. Oh, yeah. But she, but they didn't really sync the two. I thought, no. I thought that's what was happening, but then that never really happened. Also, Dr. Hopper is very full of himself. He's like got his research and his ideas. He is not at a research university. He is at a four-year college. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no postgraduate studies here. That's why it's called a college, not a university. So you're not all that. Or at least you're not pursuing a career that's all that. So did Werner Roth, like now that Jean's going to college, did he just make her a woman overnight? Or is it just oh, me? Oh, because she looks, she, I, I don't know. She just looks older now. Especially on like page, when she comes back, mm-hmm. page 10, and she's just chilling with him. It's like, it's like geez, she's like 30. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Professor Xavier once again uses his cyberpathic 
abilities to like uh, understand machines by probing them with his mind. That annoyed me. I yeah. think I think he did it with the with the bug sample too. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that stuff. And I don't, you know, you got to be this whole like it's mutated, so it's in our domain. It's like, well, how far does that go then? Because there's a lot of mutated things in the Marvel universe, right? Spider-Man's right. mutated, so is he part of the X-Men now? I don't think so. The locust at one point's like locusts have really good peripheral vision, so I can see you. And I'm like, Hopper, you're not a locust. You're just dressed up weird. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he's a he's a scientist who can also do uh, armor suits of armor and stuff. Hey, we've never heard of that before. No. <laughs> and then at the end, he's just like, "Oh, me bad, me go to jail now." Yeah, that's right. He did turn himself in, didn't he? It's just weird. It's weird. It was boring. I'm tired of them not fighting mutants. I want them to fight mutants. Can you give me a freaking mutant? Mm-hmm. I mean, X Men premise is so simple. Why are we trying so hard to not do it? Right. Ugh. Anyway, so but we honestly, have, would this have been any better if they had said he's a mutant? I suppose not, because it's still you got like this weird guy who can do a bunch of different things that isn't consistent. But yeah, I don't know. A mutant who can control bugs might be cool. That might be cool. I don't know. But he not only controls bugs, he makes them bigger. He also has a bug suit. His last name is Hopper. Give me a break. And the weirdest thing about this guy is that he does come back. Oh, my God. Only a couple of times, but he does have a couple more appearances. And I'm sorry, Roy Thomas continues to really bug me the most in X-Men. I don't know why. Maybe because there's so many characters that need to talk. Maybe. But it's just it, like, God. And it's my experience, too. Like, like he's really talkative of the Avengers and the X-Men. But, like, in the Avengers, the stories get better and the talking gets less. Uh-huh. And in the X-Men, that takes a lot longer to happen. Yeah. It's just exhausting. And it slows the pace down. And sometimes, you know, there's not actual movement. So sometimes you have to fake movement, and it's hard to fake fast movement when every panel has 16 balloons of dialogue in it. But that does wrap up our episode. On that note. Next time, we'll be covering four more comic books. Thor 132, Where Gods May Fear to Tread, where he's bashing up some Rigelian machinery with his hammer. Daredevil 20, The Return of the Owl. The verdict is death. Oh, no. Sergeant Fury 34, Blitzkrieg, and the origin of the Howlers. Didn't we just read Sergeant Fury three times? (laughs) Strange Tales 100. (laughs) More Sergeant Fury. (laughs) The end of AIM in Strange Tales 149. And more Kalu in Doctor Strange. Okay. Jesus, Nick. Nick's everywhere, man. He's everywhere. He's our most pro- prolific character right now, I think. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, what's cool is that our Spider-Man um, annual is only a couple more episodes after that. So Sweet. Where, we'll he, te- that where, where he teams up with Nick Fury? No, no. Has Spider-Man and Nick Fury ever hung out? I don't feel like that's a thing that crosses paths very often. They do in the cartoons, like Ultimate Spider-Man is all about Nick Fury. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, because he knows about Peter. Anyway, where can they find Nick Fury and our coverage of him? You can find that at MakeOursMarvel.com, where you'll find the links to all the uh, podcast 
that you want to probably use to listen to our show. And you can find a generic RSS feed to plug into you know any podcast that we don't list on our website. And you can find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. And you can also find a contact form that you could fill out and send us your comments, thoughts, questions, answers, or just write podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Michael can be found at Fury the Great on Twitter. I am at Fury Reads Comics. Um, I have my podcast, All the Furies, an Image Fury podcast, and Return to Fury Tron, a Transformers UK podcast, um, at TFURY podcast. <laughs> There's going to be someone um, out there right now trying all these and being like, I can't find any of them. Right, right, right. So um, on that <laughs> Nicholas note, um, I guess that's it. That's that it? it. That's it. Okay. So until next time, or until the Green Goblin gets way too amorous with Gwen Stacy, make ours marvel. marvel.